0: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer budget-friendly flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment the plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals so for whatever tomorrow brings united healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you learn more at uh1.com hey squash community how are you doing hope everyone is keeping well as per normal my usual little introduction. So welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. I can safely say that this conversation I've just had has completely warmed my heart and made me really emotional at the same time. I welcome Brian Patterson to the show today. For those of you who don't know who Brian Patterson is, please make every effort to get to know this man. He is a true gent, an absolute legend. I don't use that word often, but I I would class this man as a legend because of what he's done in life and what he is continually doing with influencing children Uh, in the Bronx. He runs the City Squash Program, which is a urban youth squash program in the Bronx. I believe there's 22 of them around uh, the US now, all giving opportunities to underprivileged kids Giving them access to Squash, showing them an education as well. So it's a squash education program, but using Squash as, as their entry points. These, these children come from really, really tough backgrounds, underprivileged, you know, can't afford much. And here's the man been really doing some amazing things over the years within this urban youth squash program. This conversation just goes into so many. Details and takes so many different forms. There's a point. I'm still feeling a little bit emotional now, but there's a point in the middle of the show where we both get quite emotional. Where he reflects and shares a story about one of his his kids in the program. So um, be prepared for that. It, it's 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 both amazing, but also really you know jars you into into the life we have and live at the moment. And I just feel massively honored to be able to have shared the last hour or so with Brian. Um, you know, he is so inspirational to me. I've, I have say, unfortunately, I've only met him relatively recently. I, I wish I was able to have met him before in my life. But, you know, we talk about relationships. We talk about manners. We talk about how to, you know, get the best out of people, how how to treat others. And so it's not necessarily your most typical squash mind podcast but that's exactly why I love this platform to be able to have these conversations with these type of people to understand their behaviors their habits their attitudes their viewpoint on life for ultimately me to reflect and to think about how I'm looking at things and ultimately for listeners if if you can take things away from this and just look at things in a slightly different but more positive way that's only going to be great so I really do hope you enjoy this chat. I am really going to try and make it my mission to get as many people to listen to this chat as possible because the messages coming out of it are, are phenomenal. You know, in a way, forget squash for a little bit. Squash might not be, you know, I say might not be, is not even that important in this conversation, but you'll just hear how he speaks about things he's done in his life, people he's met, influences he's had, influences, he's, influences he has on others and how we can, you know, add a bit of, you know, the Brian Patterson magic into into our lives and our perspectives and points of view. So please feel free to enjoy this, maybe dedicate a good bit of time to it. Uh, it's a longer one, but please welcome Brian Patterson. Brian Patterson, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How
2: are you getting on? um well i'm getting on as well as you can be getting on in this uh, in this day of covid 19 it's uh it's tough you know it's tough um you miss your friends you miss uh, you miss watching squash you miss getting on a court with uh, with kids uh it's just generally a uh, not a very sociable time you know you, it's tough to keep in touch with with people um one thing i do do and i uh, have been doing in the, in the in the lockdown is riding a bike you know i'm a, I'm a great biker i like biking and um so, I've been doing some rides, although right now I'm up in Barrack on Tweed with my sister and um, I'm looking out the window. The, the weather's just crap. So, people might call me a fair weather biker, but I get out in some awful uh, weather as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: no. I'm. Um, look, we've had about a 15 minute chat before we started recording, and and you just illuminated me to some really cool stuff about your bike rides. I, I feel a bit honoured. I've been I've been invited on possibly one of your future ones. I might jump on that. Um. And yeah, you know, like like you talk about not connecting with people, and you know, we, we had a brief chat on on relationships and how that all works. And yeah, it's 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 not ideal, but you know, I think I think we're all doing the best we can at the moment. Uh, it sounds like you you're obviously holding a bit of a a pattern going before we can get back on court and, and start to influence the people that we have contact with and that, that we really want to inspire their lives. But I think a good place to start is uh, let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk about your upbringing, your childhood and how you ultimately got into squash.
2: Sure. Um, I mean, I was, I was born and brought up in uh, Berwick upon Tweed. It's a great little uh, town. It's not a huge town, um and maybe maybe that's where the biking came from because i remember um i remember sort of bugging my parents for a bike for christmas sort of thing and um they just they wouldn't buy me a racer they just sort <laughs> they thought a racing bike was like us uh, too dangerous you know might get himself hurt or injured or whatever killed uh, so they bought me an upright bike just did the normal you know upright handlebars and what have you and i remember um my uncle um, worked at the, the, at the woodyard. He was a master chippy. I mean, he was an unbelievable uh, wood, woodmanship uh, guy, uh, chippy. And I used to go and meet him. He used to go home uh, for, for lunch at uh, lunchtime, you know, 12 to 1. And I'd meet him at the gates of the woodyard and we'd cycle back to his house, um, which was five, six minute ride. Um, and I'd ride back with them and leave them at the gates and what have you. So that, that's may, That maybe got me into um, biking and also Berwick at the time. I mean, we're talking a long time ago here, Jesse, <laughs> a long time ago. You know, there wasn't the traffic around. I mean, I remember, I, I'm thinking back, I remember two or three of my mates getting out on our bikes on a Sunday. And I mean, we'd have been killed nowadays if we'd done what we did. If we'd done what we did then, you know, just tr- zooming around the roads of Berwick. There just was no traffic on the roads, basically. So, um yeah, that's that's. Uh, so I was brought up in Berwick, upon Tweed. My parents were very sporty. My mother was a swimmer. Um, um, she was a thespian, did a little bit of acting in the local theatre. My dad was uh, loved his cricket and football. Um, although wasn't able to carry that on into uh, adult life, he came from a Victorian family that. Um, that you know they ran a little haberdashery, and when he became of you know when when they became of age they just turned around to him and said, "We'll see you in the shop tomorrow," and that was it. He didn't have a choice, uh, which was kind of sad. But um, yeah, he was he, he he was a good cricketer and a, and a good uh, football player. Um, so my, I remember my mother taking me on the tennis courts, uh, hitting hitting the ball back and forth with my sister. Uh, there was there are two of these, or there were two what they call ponds. Walls that were built out from the sort of beach, three sides, two side walls, and a back wall where they trapped the sea. And I remember being in with her swimming alongside me, saying, "You can." It was the sort of like it was a men's pond and a women's pond, and this was the men's pond, which was pretty wide. And I remember my mother swimming alongside me, saying, "Come on, you can do this. You can make it across. You can get at the other side." Um, so she was very keen on us to, to to you know to do sport, any sort of sport really. Nice. Um, and from there, I went to uh, Barnard Castle School. I was very fortunate; I probably got a scholarship because we weren't we weren't um, we weren't wealthy for by any means of the imagination. And picked up squash there in my second year. Um, um, an old boy came back as a teacher, and he got people enthused about the game of squash. You know, um, he was the personality—very quiet, droll personality—but he got people enthused about the game of squash and um so that's where I learned my squash uh and, and uh, you know went on from there to become a, a, a player and a coach but uh I Berwick see. on Tweed ah. the, the little town of Berwick is a, it's, it's a it's a it's a family town it's a I would call it a kid's town okay. you can do what you like there okay. and be safe
0: nice well okay so there's a couple of things that come up there it sounds like there was a couple of great influences in your life your mom and dad especially um your mom maybe instilling a bit of the competitive element into your life you know sporty but challenging you to swim across these these little areas and stuff and maybe that that first squash coach who introduced you to the game. So I'm, I'm curious to know in, in these formative years and, and you know looking at, at where you are now and, and what you've done in your life and within squash is, is just mind blowing. But in these formative years, can you talk about possibly any great influences that made you look at life in that positive way that that you've maybe grown into the person you are now?
2: Well, I think definitely my, my parents for sure. I mean, and certainly my mom. And I think looking back, Although my dad, my dad was very quiet. I mean, he, I can't remember him ever. The only time he ever played with us was on a beach, you know, cricket on a beach sort of thing. He, he never took me, we didn't play football. You know, he was, he was engaged in, in, in working in the, in the shop, you know, making the shop um, work and be profitable. But the one thing he did do, um, which I, he was a, he was a seasoned ticket holder of Newcastle United and he would take me down to the games. We'd get in the train and go down. It was like an hour and a half run in those days in the train. Now it's a forty-minute ride. Um, we'd go down the train, and in those days, he if he, he if you could if he could carry you through the turnstile, you got in free. I got in free, and and um, so there was many a time where he carried me through the turnstile, and um, we got in free, and we watched the match. And he would go into his seat. Now would go into the sort of kids paddock. And then we'd meet up after the game and come home. So you know, he got me into obviously got me into being interested in sport, especially football. Um, but I would say definitely those two those two are the greatest influences on my early life. And I think it's the early years that, that the biggest influences are, um, make an impact. So definitely my parents. And then in in later life, in terms of um, squash, it was absolutely uh, Jonah Barrington. He 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 um, he got me believing or thinking about playing the game um, professionally when it was, it was in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, you know, I was, I was living in the Midlands sort of training and playing squash, but also playing football, played for um, a, a West Midlands league team, Cinderford, who uh, is, a, is a little town in, in Wales, played for them, got paid, you know, got sort of got paid, you know, the money in the boot at the end of the game, because it was, uh, I was an amateur mm-hmm. Um, but Jonah said, you know, if you ever want to be good at squash, you've got to go to London. Um, so he definitely uh, influenced me in the terms of moving down to London, which is where squash was big at the time,
1: mm-hmm. joining
2: joining some clubs there, playing leagues and things, and just uh, training and playing. So definitely mm-hmm. Jonah, uh, for sure. And then just watching, you know, just watching sport and sort of seeing uh, seeing these top people in all different sports and thinking, "Wow, oh, man, what a life, what a great life. Even back then when, you know, when, when squash was sort of like an amateur sport, but be, but starting to become a, a professional sport. Mm. Just sort of the idea of being a professional sportsman was just I always wanted to be a soccer player, it wasn't good enough. Although I did play I did play league football for Berwick Rangers in the Scottish League. Right. Um not very yeah. long. It was before I went off to, to work as a teacher. Um but just yeah, just the idea of being a professional sports person. But those were those were the big influence of my parents mm. and definitely Jonah Barrington
0: fascinating to hear that and and you know bringing jonah up you know just just what a wonderful person and i'll be lucky enough to speak to marwan al-shabagi I'm, I'm speaking to muhammad soon and they just say yeah jonah's life influence on them and, and we're talking what a few generations difference now and jonah seems to have touched the lives of so many people he's come into contact with and i wonder if you could expand a little bit more with jonah or, or maybe other teachers or within education. In, in regard to you know the morals, the ethics, the 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 way you look at life, can, can you can you reflect back on that and and any influences you can think of them?
2: Um, you know, I mean, again, Jonah was um, definitely the driving force in terms of getting me to, to think about professional squash, but he's also the driving force in like the ethics of hard work. You know, you know, you know, you know, you get you get nothing for free in life. You want something, you have got to work really hard to get it, and that's one of the um, uh, things about. Coaching, I believe that I tell kids: if you you know if you really want something, you've got to work hard for it. There's no half measures. You've got to work hard, and you've got to be honest. You know, you've got to be honest, honest in life, and honest with yourself. You know, if you feel, if you if you if you trick yourself into thinking I'm working hard enough, mm-hmm. uh, and you're not, then you're not being honest with yourself. So honesty is a great um, a great ethic ethos to have in life, um, and I think uh, sort of Jonah and the hard work business sort of gave me that. Um, and also, you know, like the honesty thing is just, you know, you sh- in life, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, we've all told lies in our lives, but you shouldn't tell lies, you should be honest to yourself and to honest to other people. And that's that to me is the greatest um, sort of ethos part of squash, being honest, knowing knowing that you're doing your hardest and best you can. Yeah, no,
0: it totally resonates, and and you know the 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 stuff I've seen you do and the stuff I've heard you do. You know, we have only come into contact relatively recently, um, but you know the people I have spoken to you, or I, I we've had some mutual friends throughout the years. Tim Vale, one of them, and yeah, just just I've always wanted to have this chat with you and meet you and and just get inside your mind about where your philosophies are and and what you're passing on to onto future generations, which looks like you're doing an amazing job. Um, you touched on that. You said you became a teacher and got into education. Could you could you talk on that? For a little
2: bit, yeah. Um, I, I uh, from school, I went to uh, St John's College, York. It was a three-year course, education course. Then um, uh, had had three wonderful years in New York. It's a beautiful city. Made made some very very good friends in the in the PE department. Um, we you know go back to soccer again, going back to football. We had a great um, team in our. Adela- we had a guy who was on Leeds books. We had a guy. Our captain was on the Chesterfield books, but they'd both decided they'd both seen professional sportsmen get injured and then have nothing to fall back on. So they both said, "Look, I want to have something to fall back on," mm-hmm. and they came into teaching. <clears throat> um, the guy who was on Leeds books was uh, was with that was when Dan, uh, Don Revy was there, and Don Revy actually wanted to sign him full time. Oh, and he fair. said, "And he said, if you don't sign full, if you're not going to sign full time, if you only want to be a part timer, you know." Get on your bike and get out. So that's when he got into teaching in St John's College. I had done three years there, um, and then went to teach. I, I, I'm terrible at like I'm terrible at um, doing things well in advance. It was in the summer holidays. It was getting close to like the start of September. I'm thinking, oh crap, I haven't got a job yet. Oh my god, I'm better get. I, I need to get into the real world now. Uh, you know, you have this uh, t- educational supplement where all the jobs are advertised. There was wasn't a lot at that time, but there was one in Walsall in the West Midlands at a, at a, at a, um, a secondary school. Uh, you know, head PE teacher wanted, and I went down and interviewed a Walsall, and the guy said to me, you know, he'd seem like you could see him like biting the bullet. And said, well, would you like to see the school? And I'm like, no, I'll take the job. And you can see him go, oh, great you could see the relief on his mind because in fact, when I rocked up for the job, it was an old, old, uh, secondary school. The gym was an old church hall. I mean, you had to wear, you had to wear trainers because if you didn't, you would get spelt in your, in your feet and wow. things. It was just, there was doors down the side with glass in them. I mean, it was like, uh, it didn't bother me. I was like, Hey, I'm here. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm a B teacher. Let's just get on with it. Um, so you know that was that, that was um, that that was that was when I got into teaching. I taught there. I, I taught there for a year and then kind of said, "Oh, I want to be a sportsman," and resigned and, mm-hmm. and left. Okay. But again, in the middle of that summer holidays, I was I was again like, "Crap! I still haven't got a job. I don't know what I'm doing." I, I called the the headmaster back, John Walsh, and said, "John, is there any chance I can get my job back?" And he's like, "Well, we've actually we've got somebody." for the for the position he said but I tell you what he said he's actually a wood he's, he does woodwork he does you know woodwork let's see if I can let's see if I can push him into the woodworking side and get you back as um as a PE teacher so he did that and I was able to go back and I went back for another three years um and but played a lot of squash in the Midlands had had met just at the end of it all i met Jonah Mm -hmm. um and he put the put the idea into my mind of like look if you want to really be a good squash but you got to go to london Mm -hmm. so then in my four years there i i i um, resigned and took a job and let me just go back to the school of morsel hillary street it was an inner city and this is maybe what started the whole process of inner city squash it was an inner city school really poor area uh, lots of immigrant kids from india and pakistan um, who really didn't speak the language but It was a small school. It was only about 450 kids in the school. So you knew all the staff. You basically knew all the kids. And and thinking back, I kind of think that's where it all started. In a city school with those kids, you know, four years, had a great time. Took them on a couple of soccer tours. I mean, they came up here to Berwick. Um, I was able to get some of them into a hotel. My mother put some of them up in, in the house we had, you know, on the floor and things like that. We had a great time. Um, but that sort of kind of started the whole thing off left there went to london to again another inner city urban tough school in the east end of london um and was there for about a term and i said to the headmistress look i I'm, i really want to be i, I want to try and become a, a professional squash player you know can i go part-time can i just te- can i just teach in the mornings and get, have the afternoons off to go train and play and what have you and she mm-hmm. was like you know, she was desperate to keep staff, and she was like, "Oh, sure, yeah, you can do that, no problem, absolutely do that." Yeah. So I, I stayed in the East End of London, Montefiore School in Mile End. I mean, it was a tough school. Wow. It's tough, <laughs> tough school. Um, you know, a little bit scary. I remember the first sort of like two or three weeks of PE was like. Dude, we're not doing anything. You know, you're not. We're not gonna because they just would go wild. They would just go totally wild. And I was like, "You are not doing anything until you guys can settle down and listen to what we're gonna do." And it was about a month before they like realized they're not doing anything until they settled down. And in the end, there was a great relationship going. The kids realized what was happening and they settled down and listened to you know what we're gonna do. Um, wow. But I was there seventy three. I went down there in seventy three. I uh, was a member of the Paddington Club, Paddington Squash Club, um, and just you know trained in the afternoons, either played in the evenings or, well, there was no gyms back then, just, you know, went for runs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my, that was my sort of teaching career. Um, Amazing. Wow. Sounds so many links, like you said, you're
0: reflecting on that and and what you're doing with City Squash now. There was you almost that was your that was your canvas as a young man, you know, your canvas to practice these skills and get in the inner city yeah. schools and be able to do your craft a little bit more. And then obviously jumping on, on the pro tour. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you reached number two in Britain and you got to top 16 in the world. Um, can you can you talk us through your journey as that young pro and, and getting that world ranking, getting to to British number two? How was that like in in, in that era in those days? Days. can you paint a picture for us
2: yeah it was tough <laughs> <laughs> i mean you to go back to go one of the one of the sort of i was going to say fun times it was fun but it was hard work one of the fun times you know you had to, i was a fitness guy um there, there was no real coaches around in those days nobody would tell you how to play a drop shot of this or that uh, and you so you just had to you know it, was, it my um my strength was you know being able to keep the ball going you know keep the ball going until your opponent until play the last shot of the rally, you know then you knew you'd want it. So my strength from my fitness. But we I remember, Jonah invited us, invited myself and two or three other guys. He'd gone to, I think England an England badminton session at. Um, RAF Innsworth with the badminton boys and there was a guy there called Bomber Harris. Mm. Uh, not the Bomber Harris, but he just called, he happened to be called Harris. And Jonah invited three or four of us along uh, for a weekend there and we went for the weekend. And I tell you what, this Bomber Harris was brutal. It, like You can't describe how brutal this guy was. He was really brutal. And, and he was even, you know, you, you sort of rocked up on the Friday, you had a little bit of a meal, you went to, be, you went to bed in some of the billets in the barracks. That he, that he was able to get you into. But then, you know, you, you, the next morning, you didn't see him first, you heard him first. He had this booming laugh and you'd hear him coming up the stairs going, ho, oh, 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 you know, I'm coming to get you guys, get up, get up. And um, a real sort of like, oh my God, frightening laugh. But his, his sessions were brutal. You know, you'd start at like 10 in the morning and you wouldn't finish till like four or five in the afternoon, you have a break for lunch and what have you. But I do remember the first session going back to London and it was the morning, the Monday morning, I was like lying in bed thinking, how do I get out of bed? <laughs> my body ached. My body ached. I couldn't, I could hardly bend things. I'm like, how the hell do I get out of bed here? You know, And had to sort of almost roll out onto the side of the bed and put your feet down and walking up and downstairs was like, ah, it was just, you ached all over. And then we went back again, you know, wow. we went back week after week and this got me really fit um I played at Paddington I remember a guy called Mike Corby um a great great he owned the clubs in the square mile of London great guy he was number one there when I first joined Paddington and in the second year I played I played above him at one and he will always tell me I let you play one (laughs) he will never admit (laughs) he never admit that them, although we never did play, he did say, Oh, you know, you're you know, you should be playing one. So I played one, got results in the leagues, um, and was invited on, um, invited to play to, for England. I was one of the top five amateur players, invited to play for England. Um, it, it, it invited actually, I invited to play for England, but in fact, I wasn't, I made it into the GB team, which went to uh, South Africa to play in the world championships, and um came through, you know, we came. We finished second to Australia in the teams, uh, great game. It was one-all, Stuart Courtney was on court playing. I uh, can't remember the guy's name, the Australian name. But we, we knew that, like, we almost knew that, like, Stuart had to win in three. Mm-hmm. And I think Stuart won the, I think he did win the first two games and we're like, come on. Wow. But we knew that, but we also knew that Stuart wasn't too fit. Okay. Um, and I don't think Stuart would dispute that. Um, and we, like, he lost the third and we were like, ah, oh, no. No, no. Um, he lost the fourth and the fifth game. In fairness, Stuart, like, you know, he sort of threw the fifth, fourth game and then came back really strong in the in the, in the the fifth and, and lost, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the score was, but lost. So we lost to them, 3-2-1. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we went up to Johannesburg for the World Championships, the individuals. And no, actually we went down to Durban. Sorry, we went from Johannesburg to Durban. And um, I, I was a... Um, I played in the preliminary rounds, the qualifying rounds, got through those into the main draw and had an unbelievable run uh, through to the final. I mean, I beat the South African number one. Um, I beat our own number one, John Easter, which kind of pissed him yeah. off. Um, yeah. Beat uh, God rest his soul. He's a, he was a lovely guy, super guy. Then beat the Australian number two, um, uh, Wright, was it Dave Wright? Dave Wright, maybe? And I got the final against Cam Caro. Uh, and I mean he he wasn't he wasn't messing about you know he was not messing about at all and uh, he beat me three nil. but that sort of got me that me got me that got me recognition mm-hmm. and at the end of that did a, did a tour in South Africa with some of the pros that were there at the time, Jeff Hunt, Ken Hisko, Jonah was there, uh, two of the other players were there did a, did a tour with them. Uh, came back and declared myself a pro. You had to sort of kind of declare yourself a pro in those days. So wrote in England squad saying, "I'm declaring myself a pro. Um, can't you know can't play amateur sport anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, so that got that got me into uh, a professional uh, sport. Um, from there, you know, played a lot of the circuits. Played the first uh, played the first um, professional team tournament in Pakistan for GB. John Easter was there. He declared himself a pro. Uh, played out there and then, you know, got into the circuit, got playing the circuit. I was always looking for, you know, tournaments to play in um, and climbed the rankings and, you know, got to number two professionally. I have to say, I've got to add professionally. There were some great amateur players around there who um, were right up there as well, but I uh, got to number two and, and, and finally did crack the top, just cracked the top 16 in the world at number 16. Um, had a great time, had a great time. Um, what was even more, um, if I can just break away and just say, what was even more fascinating it was while I was at, before I went to set, to play in the uh, the world teams, <clears throat> I'd gone into a little shop in Warsaw to buy some little Union Jacks. I was really very proud to play for Great Britain, and in those days you weren't supplied with kit; you had to bring your own. So I thought, well, I'm I'm going to have the Union Jack on my on my um on my shirts, and went into the shop and. Um, it was a sports shop come scout shop and asked the guy, uh, do you have any uh, do you have any Union Jacks? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, the scout section. He said, well, what, what do you need them for? What do you want them for? I said, well, playing for Great Britain in the World Championships and South Africa, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, that's fascinating. He was the owner of the shop, Everett Plater. And, um, and I subsequently got to know him after playing in the World Championships. And he was... Um, Incredible. He never forgot a name. He just didn't. Wow. Yeah, uh, awesome. I, I, bought the, I bought these, um, you know, a dozen Union Jacks. He sort of w- uh, bought the papers, you know, the, the Times, the Guardian, which is where in those days, that's where the results were. And he followed me through the world championships. I got back. By this time, I'd moved back from London to the Midlands again. Um, and I was I was um, I had a teacher rent a room from this small little house that I just managed to buy and um, he was a teacher and he t- taught opposite the warehouse of Patrick shoes this guy sold his shop every player sold his shop and became the um, became Patrick UK sports shoes yeah and he wow. the, the teacher who was staying with me, We'd go across to the warehouse and buy the second, you know, buy the second, the shoes, which we weren't quite right and they didn't want to sell. He'd buy those. And he and, and Everett Plater got told him where he's staying. He said, oh, I'm staying with this guy, Brian. Plater. He's a squash player. He's like, oh, what? He said, tell him, I want to, tell him I want to see him. Tell Brian I want to see him. So he kept this, the teacher, and I cannot remember his name, would keep coming back saying, hey, Everett Plater wants to see you. You should go see him. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, I went to see this guy, Everett Plater, and he said I, I remember you you came in for the um, the union job. I said yeah he said well look he said we are trying to develop a shoe for squash he said would you be interested in in helping us sort of trial it you know have you got any 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 ideas about what it should look like etc etc yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna do the shoe he said squash was booming so I said oh love to do that love to so we spent months and months trialing this shoe which had a wrap round it It had a wrap round sole all the way around the the, the, the the, the shoe about ooh, maybe three-quarters of an inch, half an inch high around the shoe. It was specifically made for, for squash. had a, It had a hexagonal tread, it had a white sole, um, that had the two flashes, two lines at the back, unlike Adidas, which has three, Patrick had two lines at the back. And we they were being made in France. So we would go back and forth to France, try them out, the whole thing. And finally, we got these shoes developed and made, and they were going to go into the market. And he he turned around and he said, I said, um, uh, contract. He said, "Um, you know, I've got to to give you a contract. You know, we we want you to be the guy that wears these shoes. And I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I just wanted to play squash. Mm -hmm. He said, but look, Mm -hmm. I don't want to give you, I don't want to give you a huge amount. I don't want to pay you 10 grand a year or whatever, which was big money in those days. He said, because the shoes might bomb, which, which they might well have done. He said, but also I don't want to give you a little, and the shoes do well. He said, "He said, I tell you what, I'm gonna give you uh, royalties for every pair of mm-hmm. shoes sold. We'll give you uh, one or something like that, you know." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." Just let me wear the shoes and let me let me play squash, you know. So that went on. I'd, I'd pop in and out of the warehouse to get some bags and gear and stuff like that. And one day he said, "Oh, he said, I've got I've got something for you." I'm like, "Oh, yeah." So I go into his office and he's he said, "Here you go. It's a check." I said, "Oh, oh." And you know, and it was folded, so you know you don't want to open it up in front of the guy and go whatever. So I thought I said, "Oh yeah, thanks again." I'm, I just want to play the game, train, play, play squash. Folded up, put it in my pants pocket, and went home, and forgot about the thing. And it was it was only when I was sort of doing some washing that I thought, "Oh crap! Check the check the pockets, check the pockets." Yeah, and I pulled out this check. And I'm like, "Whoa! It's the check! I forgot about that." Opened it up, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! He's made a mistake. This is this is this is wrong. This is definitely wrong." I, so I thought I've got to go back. I've got to go back and see Ev. So I go back to Ev. I said, Ev, <clears throat> I think you made a, I think you made a mistake here. I said, yeah, I think you maybe put a note on the end that you shouldn't have put the note on the end. He said, he said, no, 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 that's yours. Wow. We've sold that number of shoes, and that's yours. And this was for the first quarter. And I, I, I say this every time. I think I may have been the highest-paid squash player in the world when those when those shoes initially came out. They sold. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes, and funnily enough, one of the reps, one of the reps was um, Ian Park, Simon Park's dad, who lived in Pontefract. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ian was always like, "Yeah, come and stay, mate. You come on BP, come up and stay. You can play at the Pontefract Squash Club, uh, you know, and you can take my kids on court. You know, you can take the kids on court and have a hit with them." Well, that's what I did. I go and stay with them, play at Pontefract Squash Club, where I then. Played league for them, and took his says uh, took Simon and his um, daughter who are Emma Emma on court mm-hmm. coached them and what have you and uh, you know and the rest is history with Simon he went on to be a good squash player so in some sense I'm like yeah well I had a little bit to do with the success maybe not a lot but I did have something with his success wow. but uh, those shoes those Patrick shoes which had my name get this had my name on the box Brian Patterson's hey, signature brilliant. He's, I mean, I'm kicking myself that a I don't have a pair of the shoes, yeah. and b I never, kept, I never kept the box, which is pissing me right off.
0: They would be like so valuable, just both in regard to value of asset, but value in regard to memories and and whatever.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what that that is one of the reasons. I mean, that was a great buffer in being able to play and train and not have this worry of like. You know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, there's worry of like a lot of the pros go from tournament to tournament, mm-hmm. think, no, oh, I need to get through to this round to make the money to keep me going for the next uh, next uh, um, yeah. tournament. I mean, maybe maybe that's a good thing. Maybe the pressure mm-hmm. of that gets you fired up to play great squash, and maybe it made maybe earning all this money made me a bit soft. I don't know. I hope it didn't. I don't think it did, but who knows. Knows
0: that is just you hearing you speak of that story and just reliving it with you is just phenomenal. Thank you for sharing that it's just brilliant. So a couple of things come out of that because there's just so much I want to maybe unpack there a little bit but the two things I want to talk about. Sounds like relationships is a is a huge one, Um, and and how you go about treating people. You know, you you just wanted to play squash, but you you went and spoke to the guy, and there was a back and forward, and and you know, I'm I'm assuming the way you spoke to him, he warmed you. Um, so I I want you to talk on that a bit, but uh, before that, come on, you got to tell us how
2: how much was that check for? I think we all all want to know how much. Can you say? You know, I gotta be. It was it was in the thousands. I mean, it was it was. And this was this Jesse. This was just for the first quarter of the year. That's a the amazing. first three months—I mean, <laughs> it blew my mind away. I, I—I never thought these, You know, you used to play squash, and you never really in those days yeah. it was it was becoming a professional sport. Um, but you, I just—I never—I thought you know maybe maybe I'll make three or four hundred quid or something. Like that. But every check for about two or three years was thousands of pounds. I mean, it was. It was phenomenal. They were a successful, they were a really yeah, I, successful I remember, I remember, well, you see pictures of the old pros and you yeah. do see those yeah. shoes, you know, they
0: were iconic in the 70s and 80s. So I, I only got into the high-tech ones myself, similar ones, high-tech, yeah. I think Patrick had, you know, this was kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, but yeah. you know, I think yeah. that was high-tech, those very first high-tech were based very closely to those Patrick yeah. ones. So amazing. Well, the, the, I think
2: ones. one of the reasons, one of the reasons why the shoes um, Came out of fashion, if you want to call it that, it was like, we, these shoes lasted a long time. People loved these shoes because they would last, you know, they would last for at least a season, you know, which if you played a lot of squash, that was a long time. And um, I remember a visit to France. The shoes were doing really great. We went back to France just to talk to them, to, to sort of speak about get any tweaks we could do. Do we want to do something else and all this? And they, the damn French, said, oh, we should make them more destructible so we can sell um, more. No, and we were like, no, 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 no. You cannot do that. The reason people are buying these shoes is because they last a long time. But I, but I think the sneaky old French actually <laughs> started to develop a shoe which was a little, you know, same same, same style and what have you, but it was a bit more destructible. And they started to fall, you know, they wouldn't last the season. And people were like, oh, wait a minute. And they would, you know, they were looking for things like high tech and other shoes, which was kind of a shame. Uh, we had, we definitely had sort of like, I wouldn't say battles with the French, but we, you know, we struggled all the time to, 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 to make them understand that people were buying because they lasted. And um, I think that was sort of like, that was when the shoe took a little bit of a dive. And I never, I never forget Everett as well. Everett played with a guy, you know, my, I, I played my, I'd been through my squash career. I was coming to the end of it and what have you. And i never forget him. He brought me into his office saying, you know, we were chatting away and whatever. He said, Oh, we said, you know, um, all great sportsmen's lives sort of come to an end at some point, you know, and uh, you know, you, you, fitness-wise and just age-wise, you're going to start, you know, going down the rankings, and you're going to start maybe looking for other aspects of the game, and, and it was a way of saying to me we we need to sort this contract out we're not giving you all this money anymore and he said but we're not just going to stop the contract i said he said we'll put you onto a set amount for the next two years you know which was really nice of him. he could have said that's it it's over but he's a genuine guy and um you know he so he kept me they kept me on contract for two years and i continued to use them after that but i mean people in that in in that day and age i remember being on a Um, going to these sports trade fair shows. And I was on the same, I was on the same podium with Patrick's with Kevin Keegan. You know, Kevin was there and I played squash with him. Played squash, you know, we'd we'd be there for the weekend and we'd be in a hotel where there was a squash court or there was a squash club near. Kevin was on the, you know, he was the the man for, for football. He wore Patrick's shoes we go off and play a little bit of squash i mean it was great i'm trying to get of some of the other squash uh, football players that were on the stand as well um oh, i can't remember but they they'd signed a yeah,
0: few Keegan's squ- a pretty, pretty pretty big big hard hitter to get on on there um
2: but yeah, yeah. let's,
0: let's li- link this in a little bit now um i've alluded to relationships we had this chat before we even recorded um let's fast forward a little bit to city squash and and possibly even like your core philosophies because I get the sense you're you're all about building relationships and and building the character within people. So can you reflect on you know your journey with what relationships have led you to what parts of your life? You've given some great stories there. And then similarly, how you are trying to maybe get those relationships with your students and and, and then get them to expand as people as well
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
2: Well, I think relationships have to be more than just a friendship. There's got to be a deep, there's got to be a deep bond between between people. And you know, we all have, you know, we we all have friends, and then we talk about this. And you know, there's, there's much much has been sort of written about how many true friends do people really have, and it's not a lot. You know, you you look around and like you can say, well, I've got maybe I don't know. 1015 really true friends people I can go to depend on what have you but then there are the other friends and I think the other friends are just as important you know you 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 want to you want to get to know them you want to you want to help them in any way or you want them to help you in some form of way um, and, I, and I, I think for to do that you've got to spend time with people you have to spend time you have to be interested in what they're doing you have to you have to talk about their lives they want to know about you you want to know about them um, you have to gain their trust I think with kids, it's important to gain their trust and, and have them understand what you what your philosophies are. Um, in terms of I mean, talking about relationships, you know, I talked about this guy about this um, kid who came on the on the camps to uh, England, Keith Merrill, and now he's supporting us. He's supporting city squash, but he's also supported bike ride that we did uh, a couple of years ago. Just, you know, keeping in touch with people. That's it. I think it's important to, to, to keep in touch, that you shouldn't lose touch. I mean, even if it's only sort of one or two letters, emails, phone calls a year, that's important to people. It's really important to people. And uh, one of the things in this day and age that we do with our kids in terms of relationships with our supporters and families that host us the tournaments is... We are adamant that kids write letters, and I think it, that's a big deal in this day and age. You know, anybody can send an email. Anybody can get on a phone and say how are you do. Well, people don't even speak on the phone anymore. It's all text and messages and all this—excuse my language—crap. Um, but we, it's it's important. To, I think it's important, you know, for our kids to write a letter. To, and they, they may not be great at writing. They may not be great at expressing the real thanks but just to, to get a letter come through your door from kids in a poor area keeps a relationship going um and i there's definitely if i can tell you a story about one of the people that i've got to know again it comes back it's all about squash squash is a it's an unbelievable sport that it, it has unbelievable relationships but there's a, <clears throat> there's a there's a family in philadelphia when i was living in philadelphia i coached this family they were members of the cricket club, which was literally over the road from, from our little club that we had at the school. And there's a little bit of it, we had no rivalry, but was they didn't you know like Chestnut Hill. We che- which well, Mike Jeffries is, yeah, yes, well, yes, um, you yeah, know,
0: Mike Jeffries is a fellow Zimbabwean, and then he got me, to yeah, the yeah, the summer camp at Chestnut Hill. So, yeah, I'm quite familiar with the area, and I'm, I'm very fond of that area. So, I just wanted
2: to it's check a, it's out. a beautiful area. I mean, I, I lived I lived with a family there, um, I lived in there, um carriage house which was like a five minute walk from the courts the course i started or kept the club going i was there. i'd taken their manager coach at the club got it going whatever but i coached this family the two boys in this family um because they didn't they didn't their parents they didn't like the way they were being coached over the road whatever um they came in and um got coaching from me subsequently they came on um tours with me uh, junior squash tours to Europe. I mean, I remember his mother saying to me, I don't know what you did on that tour, but he came back like high about it, high about squash, high about Europe. You know, it had written a little, had written a little um, uh, paragraph or two about some of his um, experiences, especially in, I'm trying to think where it was, especially in, in um, Cologne, where he, with a huge cathedral had written about the cathedral. But I got to know them well. And when I went, I then went to the Bronx and then when we went to play tournaments in Philly, she was, one of the, she was one of the first families I would get in touch with and say, hey, you know, Barbara, any way you might um, look after, you know, can we come and stay with you guys? And they've got this huge house. And she was like, ah, oh, bring them down. I said, well, you know, how many kids could I bring this to this tournament? She said, ah, oh, bring as many as you like, bring as many as you like. Make sure to bring a sleeping bag, bring as many as you like. And so that relationship was formed through the fact that I coached the kids, got to know her, um, and she is, she is an unbelievable supporter of City Squash. Um, in Philadelphia, where there are other inner city urban programs, mm. she perf- f- prefers to support us purely because of the relationship here. And just recently, um, she has made a huge donation to City Squash. Mm. Um, and all because of these relationships. And she loves our kids. I would say it's not because of me, it's because of the kids. Mm. She fell in love with our kids. And our kids are, they know how to, how to conduct themselves when they go to host houses, you know, I have the little, we all have the little chat with these kids, you know, respect, you know, shake hands, say, please, and thank you and just be grateful that we're being allowed into somebody's home Mm. uh, and treat it as though it was your own. And the kids do that. They're great at doing that. And they're great at talking to hosts. They may be a little bit shy, but they will talk to the hosts and hosts generally go, these kids are amazing. You know, so, uh, so, so just relationships and things like that, yeah. are important, you know, and so th- to go back to the kids and my ethos is like, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be uh, thankful. You've got to say please and thank you. You've got to be honest. You've got to be respectful. You know, right. these things are important.
0: Oh, Brian, you, you, you're speaking, you're speaking my language, and to hear to hear you say that from someone you know that's achieved what you have, it just it just warms my heart. And anyone who's listening is hopefully going to take a lot of heat from that. But it reminds me of a couple of things. There, I'm lucky enough to interview Sarah Fitzgerald. A couple of things that she had to do whenever she finished a tournament as a junior, she had to thank the tournament organizer, even if she lost. Her mom made her go back in. Secondly, yep. when she got home, she had to write a letter to thank the organizer again. And it was all about please and thank you. Her parents instilled this attitude of please and thank you the whole way. I'm not sure if you know her story, but at 20 years old, she was obviously a young pro. She was pushed into being the president of the Whisper, the women's international yeah, Provider, yeah, at yeah. 20 years old. And yeah. she is all about relationships. She says she attributes her five world titles to please, thank you, manners, relationship. She says that actually gave her mental toughness. And, and she just couldn't speak highly enough of that what you're just talking about and and to hear you say that and reinforce it that the more i'm speaking to people the more i'm getting that's a big message and just the last thing on that um i heard an interview with phil neville who was a manchester united football player he was talking about alex ferguson in the change room and that was (laughs) the two biggest words please and thank you that literally was instilled in in the players at a very early age so it definitely sounds like you've got those core philosophies that are going through you obviously ultimately because that's your character but you're passing them on to the kids in such a positive way um
2: so yeah you say I mean, there, 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 are t- there are times you know there are t- sorry about in, but there's there are times when kids will you know ask for something and i'll go you know i'll just i'll look blank and they're like well you, you, you can i get this i'm like uh, there's just one thing missing here <laughs> and they're like uh, i said come on what's that and it's like they're like, what? I'm like, there's just that one little word missing and you can see them going, oh, please, may I do this? Nice. And then, you know, before you actually sort of let them go, it's like, yeah, what's the other one? Oh, thank you. You know, and um, they're nice. just two little words, you know, two, three little words there that are really important in life. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree
0: more. And and, and I think, like I said, the modern day of, of, you know, quick, instantaneous communication through WhatsApp and and. <coughs> It can become, you know, yes, it's got a bit of genuineness, but I think that writing that, those letters it just goes to that one level of, of deeper, genuine, thank you, please, and such good attitudes to instill. And maybe something that, that I've got a feeling that I think the 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 public are much more aware of it now. Maybe there was a period I don't know throughout two thousands that everyone was like, ah, you know what, we just we're moving fast. No, for me, there's a positive feeling about manners coming back in into the whole our landscape a little bit more. Um, but I just want to also talk a little bit more about city squash and so you know the work you do evidently impacts these kids in such a positive way. It's it's phenomenal. It's noble what you do. Could you class this as your calling?
2: Um, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I think maybe I think it maybe became my calling when I got uh, when I went into teaching, you know, I mean, obviously, I got to be honest, like, you know, you go through college. I mean, I'm sure nowadays kids know kids are being pushed, being told or know what they want to do as they go into college. I had no no idea what I wanted to do, really. I just, I know I wanted to play sport, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, 16, 17, 18, going to college. Yeah, I went to a teacher's training college, but I'm like, I didn't even, you know, what did that mean? Oh, I was going to become a teacher. Oh, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think the guys that arrived at this teacher actually really realized that at the end of the course, you're going to be a teacher. You know, it's like, yeah, you sort of knew you were, but you didn't realize it. So, but I think going to that first school, um, great bunch of kids, you know, just a great bunch of kids, you know, and, and to, to get through to them was tough because, you know, some of them in the classes could, could would just barely speak English. So you had to be very sort of um, articulate and hands and what have you. Um, but it was just it was a great school. And sadly, it's now I, I I haven't been back there, but I've asked a couple of friends of mine who live there, and it's, it's now it's now an elementary school, an infant school, which is a shame because it was a great little um, it was a great little secondary school. Actually, the reason I left there, I'll tell you this now, and I'm just coming, all these memories are coming back. The reason I left there, they were closing down. This is what kind of upset me about education. They closed down four of school, four small schools like ours in the region in in the area. They closed four small schools of about 400, 450 kids in each and built this huge, huge um, school. I can't remember what they call those schools mm-hmm. nowadays. Big. Like that. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember. It was just they built this huge, huge school where they actually built squash courts in it. I don't know whether mm-hmm. I had an influence in them doing that, but they put in two squash courts. And the guy, the, the um, director of education for the borough said to me, the job's yours. You want to be the, um, you know, the director of uh, PE at the school, it's yours. You can have it. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'm going to, well, first of all, I was going to move to London anyway to, be, to try and become a squash player. But also I was like, they've just ruined education. They just lumped all these kids, 1600 kids into this huge comprehensive, it was called comprehensive schooling. They lumped them into this huge school. They, they would probably still be in their four little schools at the school, you know, not knowing who was what. Um and just they they lost the sort of they lost the feeling and atmosphere of a small school. The school, this school was a small school, everybody knew everybody. Going to this huge school, I can't imagine all the teachers knew each other, and I can certainly can't imagine all the kids knowing each other. Whereas in the small school, everybody knew everybody. So yeah. I think that that in a sense makes me believe small is great. Mm. Small is way better than big. And I and, and I'll go back to um a sort of Um, a point that where I believe this is that there was a point when, you know, Guernsey were producing uh, Lisa Roby, Martin Lemoyne, the Livre brothers, and I'm sure there's half a dozen more. They produced all these great plays because it was a small community and people helped each other and people knew each other. And then you get these huge big conglomerates and nobody knows anybody. And I think you sacrifice a little bit of um, quality when you go with quantity. Um,
0: yeah and so, um, so, so yeah. again well it might just link to relationships there as well like how how can you form relationships or deep relationships with a thousand five hundred students whereas yeah. actually you've got a school of 400 and you know the teachers you yeah. know more personal things about them as well and um yeah so no you make a great point there and you know you see these talent hotbeds and they you know you yes mass produce squash players and stuff but you know what you also see those those microcosms of those those small talent hotbeds because they're doing deeper, deeper work on their relationships and their attitudes and their character building. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you, you're willing to share this, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question. And um, within City Squash, you know, you're working with very underprivileged kids from really tough backgrounds. Are you able to share any
2: stories about the hardship of some of these kids? Sure. I mean, um, there was one kid. He came on. The, he actually came on the bike ride down the west coast. Uh, Darius, Darius Campbell, black kid. Sweet kid, intelligent kid. He um I might get I'm gonna get emotional about this, sadly. Um he part of his life in the Bronx with Hoodie's mother, going from shelter to shelter with a black bag.
0: It's like you're getting emotional as well. wow. <laughs> I didn't think um, I didn't think I would hit that emotional tone. Um that's sad, you know that's sad.
2: Mm-hmm. and um, sorry about this but no, you know, no, just, no. Just, re- just recently just recently sweet kid uh, I want to say this was about um, a month ago sweet kid big kid big smile he got murdered in the Bronx 14 years old shot
1: Wow. it's sad
2: wow i didn't know that I,
0: I i've heard you i've heard you refer to him in 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 the past i think on the on the squash fields documentary you, you you mentioned i think his name and wow i, I um, i'm but,
2: kind of but this is but this but this that kid more. but this kid this is another kid who got shot i mean yeah. darius is, is is through darius went to a brilliant um, university he's down in uh in the south i think he's working in the working in um some he's working maybe as a rep for a chemical company or something like this but this other kid four weeks ago just got shot for no reason just some kid comes around and, and shoots him it's sad it's uh you know so these are the kids you want to help for sure
0: yeah. yeah and 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 I suppose knowing that or you know knowing knowing some of the backgrounds they've come from or possibly some of the hardships <laughs> they're gonna face in the future how does this frame it up for you? Like, you know, what type of headspace do you go into this coaching and education? Because that must be so tough in itself, you know, just, just kind of knowing maybe some of these stories that might happen.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, we do it because we want to help these kids. We want to try and help these kids. Um, you know, get a better life. Obviously, um, we are a, a, a squash and academics program. I put squash first because we're more important than academics, mate. Let's get that straight. <laughs> Although the academic side would probably tell you they're way more important than squash, but uh, they go well together. You know, acad- uh, academics and squash, you know, healthy mind, healthy body is going to help the kid go far. So we, we're always continually trying to help these kids um with their academic, with their with their schooling. And we have sent we've had something like I think 65, 70 kids go to private schools, um, <clears throat> which I think is, you know, it's 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 another side that they see to life. You know, they go into these schools where there's not a lot of diversity, they're meeting a lot of white kids. Um, it's tough that, you know, for them to go to these schools can be tough. And you know, talking to the alumni who've gone through that system, they have found it very hard initially being in a white world you know but we you know they've hung in we've we've helped them hang in um and then we have something like a 95 success rate in sending kids to to colleges and universities those colleges could be community colleges Mm -hmm. um universities which are called colleges you know there are there are colleges and universities which are on the same level and we send we, we send kids to universities and we you know we we try hard again it's relationships you know you you, you, you make relationships with the with the um, with the uh, the um, admittance people at these universities you 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 hold on to that relationship even if you don't get kids in. Over, over a period of years, you still want to keep that relationship going because you think in the future, well, we may have somebody that will get into that college. Um, so again, it comes back to relationships. You you hang on to relationships that are going to be important to help these kids do well in their lives. And I think the big, the big, I think the big thing for us is that we're hoping it's someday, someday, and it, and it could happen soon, that, that, you know, these kids are going to get, come out of colleges, get great jobs and they're going to give back. And I think, that's what it's all about, giving back.
0: And have have, have, you, have you seen that? Have you seen that cycle happen yet? Like again, we've got well, I recently met Eduardo and he's one of those kids who came through the City Squash program, I believe. And now he's really working high up in the SEA. So can you give yeah. some stories and examples of, of people you've seen that have, have done that that what you, you said, giving back
2: ultimately at the end of yeah, the Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of guys, a couple of couple of kids sprang to mind right off the bat. And that one is a guy called um, Chris Fernandez, he went through the program. He was very, I mean, he was a bit of a, he was a bit of a rebel. He, you know, mm-hmm. he, 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 always wanted to do the opposite of what you would tell him to do, but he, but in the end, he would do it, you know, sort of thing. Um, but he went through city school. I didn't really know him when I first went to city school. He had already gone to a boarding school um, and he was, he spent four years at boarding school, which was great. It went to a, a boarding school called Canterbury where two or three others, I think we got about two or three kids in there all sort of, within years of each other. Um, so we had a great connection there. He went there, he came back and he um, came back to work for us at City Squash as my assistant squash coach. Great guy, hardworking guy, gave everything, you know, gave everything he could back to City Squash in terms of working there. Obviously he was, was was a paid employee, but, um, and then moved on. He then has got the job as a squash coach at a university, uh, Dickinson uh, university. I think it's I better get this straight. I think it's Dickinson. I might be getting this wrong. Dickinson University in Pennsylvania, um, and he's been there. This is I think he's going into his second or third year now, you know. So he's into this job and he's he's a great kid. He's a great guy. Comes back, we hang out. He'll come back and get on court with the kids. Um, he's like at this point, he's he's ambitious, you know, he wants to become a coach. He's at Dickinson University, great university, but he wants to get He's looking, I think, either to moving back and starting a program somewhere else, as a CEO, as the guy that would start it, or maybe getting a, a high, what you would call a high-end coaching job in, in possibly the Ivy Leagues. You know, looking at something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But he's and he's he's also bringing out a, a a brand of T-shirt. He's got his T-shirt designs going. So he's you know he's Amazing. he's on the ball. He knows what he's doing. You know, and he will give back. There's no doubt about. it. At some point in the future, he will do. not give back in time and probably donate back to city squash. Hmm. And there there's a, a, a girl called uh, Jesse Pacheco. Um, again, she went off to a boarding school. I didn't, I didn't, she wasn't there when I first started, but I, I got to know her really well. Um, she went to um, Rhode Island boarding school, St. George's, great, great boarding school, you know, was played number one in their squash team. Um, and then went off to an Ivy league college, uh, Cornell, um went off to an Ivy League which was she's the only person only kid we've had into an Ivy League so far but came out and um is um a salesperson I can't remember who it's for but she was working in New York for a while and then she went off to the west coast and worked in San Francisco she came back to New York for a couple of years and she's now back in San Francisco but she's she's a high flyer and she's um she's um, earning earning a fair amount of money, so I keep bugging her saying, like, like "When are you, Jesse? When are you going to donate back to City Squad?" But when she comes back, you know, again, all these kids when they come back to the Bronx, they will come to the courts and play with the kids. They will give back, and it's, it's just things like that that that's what you want to happen, you know. Obviously, we're looking for some cash here as well, and maybe one day we can embarrass them to give the millions when they when they're earning it. Who knows? Yeah, but
0: I, I know we keep coming back to it, but the relationship you, you you've influenced those people's lives and in, in such a way that they have got these memories and these associations with you and the program and you know their formative years <laughs> growing up and that's why i asked you a bit earlier on about your formative years and and the influences and linking it to now the influences that you give back to these kids and you know ultimately that cycle just grows and grows and just just the positive effect they can have on other people's lives that you will never see you'll never you know see some of those people they'll see but just imagine that, that, that pay it forward type effect. And, you know, just having this chat with you here today is just inspiring. It's given me goosebumps several times today. So thank you so much for sharing these
2: stories. I've got to, I've got to give you a, sorry, again, sorry, button in again, I've got to give you one story about Chris Fernandez. He's a great kid. And he's now this coach. He, um, this was at the start. This was like, I was just finishing my sort of um, being in the private sector and I was taking some kids. I was taking some kids around Europe. And um, Tim Wine said to me, he said, well, I want you to take, can you take these kids as well? Can you take, um, I think it was Freddie, Freddie, was it Freddie Hernandez? Jesse Pacheco came with us and Chris was coming with us. And we are going to meet in um, Santiago de Compostela in Spain, play the Spanish Open and then go to um, Germany and then, and then Holland. And um, so this, this was not my, f- I'm going to, I have to put this on the line. This was not my fault. So anyways, they're sending these kids over to, um, actually, no, I must have, I was at City Squash and was taking kids as well. As, and I was in England waiting to fly over there to Spain. And um, so they sent Jesse, they sent Jesse, Freddie and Chris over to Spain. And Jesse and Freddie are going through immigration. They're getting through, you know, into, into, into Spain and what have you. Um, and then they're like, looking back and like, Chris is talking to the immigrant. They're like, come on. And he's like, oh, he's like, He's like throwing his hands up in the air. They go through and they're met and what have you. And Chris um, spends a night in jail. Um, and what had happened was Chris didn't, the, those Jesse and Freddie had American passports, I believe at the time. Chris didn't have an American passport. He had a, a um, I think he had a Dominican Republic passport. And of course, coming with a, with a Dominican Republic passport, you have to have the visas to get into Spain. Yeah. City Squash hadn't thought about that, and they didn't have the visas. So he was put in jail. And I remember him phoning me up. I was in England at Lee, and I was obviously going to fly over the next day to to, to be with him. He phoned me up saying, BP, I'm in jail. I put me in jail. I just want to go back to the States. I I said, I was like, Chris, Chris, dude, you're not in jail. mate. You you, you can't be. But he said, BP, there's bars on the window. I'm in jail. I'm like, What? <laughs> and, and what happened was, what happened was, so I went over and met the other two, and we did that we were doing the tour around Europe. Chris went back; he was sent back to the States. But and he was like, I never want to go back to Europe. It's a terrible place to throw you. <laughs> I don't want to go back. But City Squash were like, No, 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 no. We we are gonna we're gonna get this. So they got a Schengen, they got a Schengen visa for him, and he actually caught us up in in Germany. Brilliant. So he always reminds me that. I still owe him a trip to Spain. Yes. <laughs> never how, old, how old was he at the time? He was a junior playing under 19s
0: and he's been chucked in jail for the night wow so in jail.
2: A and work. of course you know and the other the, the, the funny thing about it is you know dominican spanish is slightly different from spanish so he would be like ah, she's <laughs> throwing words at me in spanish i have no idea what she's talking about it was so funny but these are the sort of fun things i say fun things uh, wasn't fun for chris fun at the time sitting in things Lyon. like that happen you know and it's a hey, it's all part and parcel of um life
0: it is. It's it's this it's this wonderful, colourful, unpredictable journey we're all on, isn't it? And yeah, it's not. It's again cliche, but I love it. It's it, it's not the it's not the end. It's not the destination. It's that journey along the yeah. way, and, and we've got to colour it best we can. So I'm I'm quite curious to know. Um, you know, you've seen many kids come through your program, and one of these questions that that again, if you can expand on this, there might be many answers, but. Where do you think they need the most help when they come to you? Where, where, what have you started to see that's a common thread where they need the most help?
2: I think just giving them the confidence, you know, to give them the confidence to know that hey, you're just as good as anybody, you know. Um, you, you, you just, you know, in this in this diverse world where you know the Bronx is very much a um, a, a part of New York that has um, low income kids, low income families. Mainly of color, you know, um, and so they so they're in this community where they're seeing where they're seeing you know they're seeing people of the same color, you know. So when we when we send them out to boarding schools, where all of a sudden they are totally in the minority, um, and they must worry like crazy what's going on, you know, what's happening here. I think giving them the confidence, it's definitely a confidence, and giving them the confidence to, to absolutely know that hey, you are just as good as anybody else, you can do great things. You can become a, a really productive, worthwhile, you know, fantastic person that has a great life. Um, so I think confidence is a big, big thing. Um, and it, it is tough. Some of these kids, you know, some of these kids are um, very, very wary about moving out of the neighborhood, about going on tours, about staying overnight. And I understand that, you know, they've never, never done this in their lives before, you um, so so you know, instilling a, a, a huge degree of confidence in them is, is is big. And I think that's what we do, apart from, you know, making them as good squash as squash players we can make them and also giving them the academic side and make them as bright as we can, I think giving them the confidence to believe, hey, I'm 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 of worth, I'm I can I can do great things with my life. I think that's a that's key.
0: It sounds like there's lots of different ways to try, you know, squash, improving on the squash court, improving in your, your viewpoints on life and your, your attitude to obstacles and then the education side, you know, and then possibly, like you said, always the, the relationships and how you, how you talk to them and how you treat them, hopefully they reflect that type of behavior and attitude back to others that they meet outside of the squash world and yeah it, it is a phenomenal program and you know we've connected because you know i might be jumping on and doing some work with you guys and just trying to bring the whole squash mind concept to it and you know if i if i could improve people by 0.5 percent, hey for me that's that's a huge win um, yeah. but i just want to have, have, have like there's a couple more things you've been super generous with your time by the way so but <laughs> I, I could just keep going with this but i want to fast forward a little bit to something more recently um squash skills did an amazing documentary on you and city squash, the Bronx tale um, showcased you showcased, you know, the stuff you do. I thought it was an amazing piece of art and storytelling at the same time. And um, so the documentary went on to, um, to, to win the, well, it got nominated for the peace and sport documentary prize at the 2020 Cannes film festival, which is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. But this must give you hope inspiration that your message and impact for squash and education has been, been more widely recognized. Can you, can you talk on that a bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, all these urban programs give give um, give a chance to inner city inner city urban kids who would never ever have the chance to to play squash, and I think that's huge. And and, and I'm not going to, you know, you have to you have to recognize the academic side as well. It's given them a chance to improve their academics and become um, smarter kids. Um, but I think the uh, the squash side it gives these kids give <coughs> it gives inner city urban kids the chance to play a game which they would never have the opportunity to play. So I think, you know, anything that promotes that, anything that, that, that helps these kids do that is great. And I, and, and, you know, in the States, there are now something like 22 uh, urban programs giving two and a half three thousand 3,000 kids the chance to play this game. Amazing. Um, so I think that that's the biggest, for me as a squash player, that's the biggest thing that comes out of this, that uh, we're giving these kids a chance to play a sport, which, you know, it is is basically a what in, in the states and in and possibly in Europe has been a white person sport. You know we want to get diversity. There is diversity. You know the Egyptians play, the Indians play, the Pakistanis play. There's, but people play around the world of different color all the time. But you know certainly in the states it's been a game for the white community. Now it's becoming a much more diverse game, and there are more and more kids from urban backgrounds getting into the sport and playing it. You know, yeah. so that that to me is is where it's at.
0: Yeah, and, and again that documentary did showcase so many great things and hopefully more and more people can see it. And and yeah, well done for being a part of it and well done for for you know reaching a, a massive milestone in, in being nominated at the Cannes Film Festival. But in closing, we had a, a brief little chat, maybe 10 days or so ago, and you gave me a little hint to something I'm I'm quite curious at that you're big into your folk playing music. Come on, uh, tell, tell us more about this. I'm, I'm curious.
2: I think if I think when people hear this, they're gonna they're gonna go, "What? He can't sing to save his life." Come on, um, yes. I, you know, I I like I love music. Um, I've always loved music. Um, you know, but we can I come from a, a family which. Um, uh, my both my, my I think my well my mum was on the sort of amateur dramatics in in Berwick. My dad was maybe behind the scenes person doing this, the the, the stage uh, staging and what have you. Um, love they've lo- always loved music. Um, I've loved music, and um, I, when I first became a teacher, I, I bought a I bought a guitar, thinking, well, I, you know, let's learn how to play this. And and I I roomed with um, I shared an apartment with this uh, guy called Jim Slay, lovely guy. Um, and he had bought a guitar and we we just, you know, we, we messed around together singing things and I'm like, hey, you know, let's I'm going to start a folk club at the school, which I did. We started this folk club every Friday. Uh, uh, lunch break was like, I think, from 1230 to 115 or maybe 130. So we did a half an hour's folk club in, in the school. Um, a lot of fun, you know, we, we, we would pack this classroom with kids, they'd come in, they'd sing along to the tunes, you know, the, the, the chorus tunes and things like that. I think one or two kids learned to play guitar, it was great. We sang it, um, uh, you know, morning assembly, once, a, once or twice a month we'd sing some song for, for the kids and what have you. And um, But we were living in this um, apartment block, this flat, that's three, it was three levels. Flat. We, were in the, we were in the, I think we were in the top one and um, we would pay our rent to the, the woman downstairs who owned the block, who owned the house. And uh, one day she said, Jack, are, you, are you the guys, are you the guys that play like the guitar, the guitars? The, we were like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we mess around them. yeah, she she, she she goes, like she blew our mind away. She's like, oh, you guys are great. Oh, wow. She said, I've been, I've been listening to you singing and what have you, and you're great, she um, said, you're really great. So we're like, yeah, whoa, well, you know, we're okay, we're not brilliant. And then you so we, you know, we we pay the rent. And then one one day, she said, we were paying her the rent. She said, look, I hope you don't mind. I've got you booked in to a folk club. We're like, what? You're crazy. She said, look, I've done it. You're going to get paid. Ah, ah hello. oh, dosh, dosh. We're like. We're like oh god she said look you're the filler in group you're not the main group you just you know the main group will come on there'll be a break when you come on for like 20 minutes half an hour, and then the main group will come back at this folk club we're like oh god okay 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 yeah so myself and Jim we're like all right we'll 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 do this dude we were petrified <laughs> we were absolutely petrified I think you know we we got up we got on stage and and Jim told a joke which actually went down really well and I'm like dude Tell another joke. I'm giving them the album. Tell another joke. Tell another joke. We won't have to sing. To... So he told another joke. And in the end, we thought, well, we got to sing something. So we, we sang, you know, we sang these sea shanties with choruses. And it was in the days of folk clubs and people joined in, you know, they're having the beers. Yes. Joining in. We did the half now like, oh, thank goodness for that. And anyways, you know, she, she she kept saying to us, I've got, you another booking, you know, like, well, we got through that, you know, we'll do it again. And we were getting like a fiver for half an hour, which was a fair amount of money in those days. But she, but one day she, she came when we went to pay the rent, she said, I've got you. This is it. You're the main group. We're like, what? (laughs) This is absolutely crazy. We're just a filler in group. We fill in. She said, no, no, no. I've got it for you. You're in. So we go to this um, folk club, which was run by, I've got to be honest, an unbelievable folk singer, guitarist. I mean, he was brilliant. So we get on stage and he, within minutes, realizes, dude, these guys are just the filler ins. They're not not a main group. So he jumped on stage with us and said, hey, guys, I'm joining with these guys. It's going to be great, you know, the whole thing. And he did all the songs. He did, you know, the intricate guitar plays, the whole thing, and sang most of the time. And after that, you know, the evening ended. We got sort of we we were embarrassed to take any money, but we, we, we but we took it. <laughs> and then we we went back, you know. And the next time we saw, we said, "Look, that was it. You 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 set us up there, and that's oh, we're wow. not doing it anymore." So that was the end of my folk, uh, oh, wow. folk playing days. But um, it was enjoyable. It was. En- I've got to be honest. It was enjoyable. And the, the the bit I liked the most was the folk club at school. That was brilliant. Nice. Brilliant.
0: Oh, what a great story, man. Oh, Brian, thank you so much. These stories and just the way you bring it to life and the way you color it is, is inspiring. I don't know about you, but I've I've had one of the most best hour and a half in recent memory. This has been so much fun. I've absolutely loved going down memory lane with you. And, you know, just in reflection, I, I really think a lot of people should hear this. So I'm, I'm going to be doing my best to push this out to as many people as possible. But Brian, your work's amazing. Um, I, I for one, really look forward to doing some work with you in the future. I know we're trying to link up together. And I, again, I, if I can add a little bit of value, I'd, I'd be phenomenal on my part point of view. But listen, thank you so much for your time, for your stories. Thank you for opening up about some, some tough stuff and, and getting us both quite emotional there. But thank you. I really do appreciate that. And listen, let's touch base soon and let's take it from there.
2: Yeah, Jesse, thank you so much. And we'll see you tonight. We will. We'll see you a bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, no, thanks. thanks. Yeah,
0: bye. Presence, process, persistence, the essence of squash mind.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them
0: getting even softer over time.